0: Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come together and fellowship and study your word. And it's always good to be with uh, those who know you and love you and... um, It's just a a nice break from the crazy world that we live in. So thank you, Father. Bless us time. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and illuminate us to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to pick up where we left off on spiritual warfare. Um, The course of things that are going to happen is tonight uh, we'll do this. And then next week we have our last Wednesday night before we take our Christmas break. And then we'll resume uh, mid-January, somewhere in that neighborhood. Okay, so we'll take a break and uh, give our staff a little bit of a break as well. So, so two more nights tonight and next week. Okay, um, and where we left off, I think of, I think forming factions, disregarding proper theology. I think we're somewhere in that neighborhood. I think, if I can remember. And the overarching principle is how Satan promotes division in the church. And we looked at all these things, and let me get back to where I was at. Okay, so um, let's just start with disregarding proper theology. So one of the things that you'll see in the era of apostasy is people breaking off with splinter groups because of, uh, I, I guess their versions of what they read. Okay? Now, understand this. In, in theology, there are debates um, on t- certain issues, and some of those issues are you know, secondary, tertiary, and moving itself down. There is no debate on primary issues. Okay? That's the primary issues in the Bible, um, there is no debate. Um, uh, authority of scripture, infallibility, inerrancy, deity of Messiah, trinity, um, atonement, um, salvation by faith alone, um, kingdom, things of that nature. So when you're looking at those kinds of primary doctrines, there's no debate. But here's what starts happening, though. Um, The way Satan infiltrates typically is not through undermining primary doctrine, although he can do that and does do that, and that's when you have a cult that starts up, like the Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, or uh, Scientology, or whatever, Christian science, and any of that stuff. Um, And those, of course, we call them cults because they claim to be Christian, but they deny the essentials. So by definition, they they deny a-doctrines. Okay, so when you have proper theology... Um, you have your a doctrines secondary tertiary okay when you 're at the secondary and tertiary levels, the issues on those uh, 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 of how to interpret those become your or where you 're coming from in your hermeneutic okay hermeneutics is is just a, a big fancy word for biblical interpretation of how you interpret the Bible correctly okay now. When you see disagreement on tertiary or uh, or secondary issues, it's typically because of the hermeneutic one or both people are using, okay? So what is the proper hermeneutic? Well, the proper hermeneutic is to take it in the sense it's intended to be taken, okay? So that means that most of what you're reading is going to be literal, okay? Now, when you get to the book of Revelation, John will use symbols and visions, but he then will explain the vision and symbol right there in the text. And if he's using a vision or a symbol or a mez or something like that, it will, and he doesn't explain it, it means that it's explained in the Old Testament. So the book of Revelation is not a mystery. If you, old, you know the Old Testament, there's 450 references to the Old Testament. You'll understand what he's saying. And then the new things that he brings in, of course, are explained by him, okay? So what we call this, the the proper hermeneutic is the literal, historical, grammatical, lexical, syntactic analysis, okay? That's a big word for proper hermeneutics. It means that I'm taking the the scriptures, not in a wooden literal sense, but if Jesus is using metaphors, I use the metaphor. If he's using um, a simile or whatever, I use the simile. It's just like... It's, it, it, the, you read the Bible as you would read a newspaper. If, an, if a writer is using a metaphor, you understand that he's using a metaphor. He's not, it doesn't mean he's re, it's raining cats and dogs. It means that he's using a metaphor. Okay, so that's how you're supposed to take the Bible. Here's the problem. If you do not take it in that sense, you will read things into the text, and that's where the factions and the divisions start coming in. Second... Now, first, you've you got to have the proper hermeneutics. Second, is you ha- in your hermeneutic, you have to understand cultural language. You have to understand the way they spoke in the ancient world. Okay? And, and if you do not know that, you will interpret it in the wrong sense. And that's part and parcel for how disagreements about secondary issues come to fruition. Third, you cannot read yourself into the text. Okay, That's called narcissistic hermeneutics. What, now, who does that? A guy like Stephen Furtick will do that. Most of the word of faith do that. They read themselves into the actual text. Okay, if it's talking about Moses, they're the Moses in the story. So that's, that's, a, that's a new trend. And it's actually quite popular. Beth Moore is a good advocate of that. Now, if you've seen some of the latest stuff with Beth Moore, that's exactly what she does. She reads herself right into the text. Now, what do I mean by that is she'll have her splitting of the Red Sea, so to speak, and she'll have this and she'll have that. She'll, have the, she'll, she'll speak of the events that are in the Bible as if they happened to her okay? That's called narcissism, and that's reading yourself into the text. The text is not about you and I. The text is describing something that ha- that can make application to you, but sometimes it won't. But you can't read yourself into every text. And that's me, this is that. You can apply it, but you're not the acting character, right? You know that you're not the Moses in the story, or whatever. Um, but guys like Stephen Furtick and uh, Beth Moore and others read themselves in the text, okay, so you have to get rid of that the the other The fourth thing you'll have to do is you cannot read the text with a precondition that's part of proper hermeneutics, okay, so if you have a preconditioned belief that the text is going to say something that you want it to say, you actually can make the text say anything you want it to say, right. So you have to draw preconceived ideas about what you're reading. Calvinism is the biggest, uh, one of the biggest pur- purveyors of reading their position into the text rather than deriving the position from the text, right? You can't read stuff into it. You can't read modern fatalism into it or, or ancient fatalism in it, whatever you want. Okay, so you can't, you can't approach scriptures with preconceived ideas, Okay, the second thing or sorry, the fifth thing you cannot do in hermeneutics is put your own hurts into the text. If you put your own hurts into the text, you will read stuff that's not there. And lastly, I would say this: you, you cannot read your own reality into it, I guess. That's I, I guess the best word I, could, I, can, I can put out there and if I don't know an example of that would be like someone thinking that Jesus is a, the new age Jesus, and that the things he's doing are because he's an avatar and um, he was given a special mission, and that's why he's different, but he's really not that different if you you could be like him and you know kind of new agey stuff type of things. okay, so what ends up happening then if you use any one of those bad hermeneutics, or you spiritualize the text, or you allegorize the text, you don't take it literal, in the, then <clears throat> you can make it say anything you want. Okay? And that's where the problem begins. The reason there are so many different interpretations is because people are using faulty hermeneutics. So when you ask them, where did you get that concept for X, Y, and Z, a lot of them will say it's what I heard, it's what I was taught. Uh, I heard somebody on TV. I heard a guy on YouTube. I heard this. I heard that. But it, 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 and and that's very dangerous. Um, now, I'm not saying that you have to learn Greek and Hebrew, and I'm not saying you have to learn you know proper hermit, uh, proper hermeneutics like you would in seminary and stuff like that, knowing the the languages and the the rules of the language. Um, I'm just saying. If you don't know the person's background on where they're educated, and I don't mean f- whether it's formal or informal, where is this person coming from? Is it some dude in his basement in, the, in YouTube land uh, or whatever? You have to be extremely careful about that because you don't know if they know proper hermeneutics. And again, I'm not saying that se- seminary is a guarantee that someone knows proper hermeneutics. It's not. But you need to know the person you're dealing with. That's all I'm saying. Um, and if you don't, then don't don't go forward with their stuff. You've got to be really, really careful in these days. Okay, so um, this starts happening and causing divisions in a church. Okay, so then what happens? Once someone comes with an idea that they have conceived of themselves because they listened to some old boy on YouTube... Then the first thing they want to do is they want to bring it into the circle of influence. okay? Uh, Their friends, their neighbors, their loved ones, and people in their Bible study. And what starts happening, if they've picked this up without doing extensive research on it, Satan comes in and creates pride in the individual. And the individual has now discovered something. The individual has now had a new nuance of something that no one else understands except the secret group that revealed this to them on YouTube. Okay? And with that secret knowledge, they want to express that secret knowledge that no one has discovered in the last 2,000 years of church history. Okay? Do you see where the motive could be with someone who has discovered something new and then now wants to promote it in the Bible study, promote it in the church, or promote it wherever. Do what, what, you, you, you see the motivation for going after something weird or something that, you, that 2,000 years of scholarship has never found, and all of a sudden some dude on YouTube found it? So what, what I'm talking about is spiritual pride, is Satan will take the uneducated biblically uneducated, and give them something that sounds right and is novel and is new and then introduces the false doctrine through that individual, and they start spreading it. Okay? And if it catches on big enough, they can actually form their own circles. They can form a, a denomination, a church, around this whole thing if it catches on and appeals to, to masses of people. But what is it meant to do? It is meant to break people off from from, uh, proper theology to form a faction or a a, a heretical group or even a heterodox group. Not so much a cult, but a heterodox group that (coughs) you wouldn't classify them in that cult. So what ends up happening is because of spiritual pride, Satan takes advantage of the individual. Now, why does the, why does the individual uh, uh, have pride about discovering something new or whatever? What's it about? Well, a lot of times people don't have power in their lives. In fact, there's a good reason why they, they do not have it. It's because they don't, know how to, they don't know how to yield that kind of power. They don't know what it means to have authority. And I'm, I'm referring to authority. And so a lot of people can't handle that. That's why very few people can handle being at the top of like a CEO or whatever before they just like, they can't handle it. It gets, it's too much. And um, anyway, that person typically lacks power in their life and they lack a place of power. And sometimes uh, the main issue is they lack power in the home. Okay, someone is dominating. I see this a lot with males. So if the male is dominated in the home, Uh, by the woman, what I typically see are males trying to exert power in uh, churches. Now, they're Casper Milktos when they go home, okay? (laughs) They really are, because you're like, I don't understand what's coming out of this guy. But then when they get into a church setting, they're Mr. Big Shot. They're Mr. Know-it-all. And I've seen them for 20-something years now, and they never go away. And I know the dynamics that's going on in the home. So what ends up happening is because they have no power, they'll exert power uh, in a church setting where typically people are docile and won't push back on them. And then they'll introduce their junk in Bible studies, church, factions, wherever. And now they have discovered something that the pastor doesn't know. Now they have discovered something that the denomination doesn't know. Now they have discovered something that no one else in the whole church knows. And it's new, and they want to introduce it. And so it gives them a level of superiority that they're smarter than everyone else. Okay, And you can just go down the line on all the new things that have popped up lately in theology. Okay, That's the background that causes division. The person's not typically setting out to do division, but by the simple fact that their, their spiritual pride is leading them in this direction to take a novel idea into the congregation, sets them up for causing division. And that's what's dangerous. So, you know, you'll be in a Bible study, and, and some dude will come in and say, hey, I read this new book, and it's wonderful, it's awesome. I think our Bible study needs to do this book. okay But that book is a her- has heretical teachings in it. It may not have all, all, it probably will have about 90% good stuff, but um, it's the 10% usually that are mess, messed up that you have to watch for, but that's what causes the heresy. So this is what you're looking for, is people coming up with novel ideas that have no background, they got it off of YouTube or they read a book on Amazon, and now they're an expert on it, Okay that's what you're looking for that person will cause division okay they'll introduce it at your family they'll introduce it to your friends hey you got to read this you got to watch this and look that 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 will send everybody into a tailspin look there's been two thousand years of scholarship on christianity the bible the old testament and the new testament um there's not a lot that you can rediscover that no one's ever figured out, okay? Now, people will say, well, you know, I'll give you an example. People do a straw man argument about dispensationalism. Well, dispensationalism is a, uh, uh, or, or the rapture view or, or uh, pre-tribulational views, that was invented by Darby. No, that's, that's a lie, and you know it's a lie, Because dispensationalism and premillennialism dates back to the early church. That was the official view of the church until Augustine changed it and made it all millennial and spiritualized the whole eschatology. So what ends up happening a lot of people, they come up with these ideas that, oh, you know, the the pre-tribulational view is a fairly recent view. The problem is they don't know church history. They've never studied it, nor have they researched the church fathers. And that's the problem with the lack of scholarship. If you don't know your scholarship, you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm not trying to be prideful. But people who say that Darby invented premillennialism are either lying or they're as ignorant as all get out. Because the early church fathers all held to a premillennial view. They believed in imminency. The early church fathers believed in imminency. They talk about it all the time. The early, uh, let's talk about Calvinism. The early church fathers, up until Augustine, did not believe in Calvinism. If you know your church history, every church father talked about free will until Augustine ruined it. So a lot of the stuff that we talk about is Origin and Augustine that ruined it. And then the reformers just took it and didn't go any further than what Augustine perpetrated as as far as Calvinism or eschatology. So what happened so why did, let, 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 let's, let's use just a little history as an example of what we're talking about. Why did pre-millennialism re- be, uh, uh, all of a sudden pop up during that period of time with Darby and, and things of that nature? Do you know why? It had progressed in church history to where the reformers broke away. Okay, they still, they still spiritualized eschatology, but then the Plymouth Brethren started taking things more literally as the further and further they got away from not only the Reformers but the Catholic Church. And they started to read the Bible more literally. And behold, lo and behold, the Plymouth brethren started saying, wait, there's a plan for Israel. We think of this literally, it's saying that God's going to use Israel again. And we see a difference between the church and, and Israel. What happened was once Christians got the Bible back in their hands and in their language, they started reading the Bible more literally, and it went back to what the early church believed. It was actually rediscovered by going back to literalism, not spiritualism, spiritual, spiritual or allegory of the text. That's why they will claim that Darby invented it. He didn't invent it, the Plymouth Brethren just rediscovered it by going back to the intent of proper hermeneutics. And hence, we have proper eschatology now uh, based on the literalness of things, which the 1st, f- 2nd, and 3rd centuries all held to. They all held to it. Okay, That's an example of it. So I'm telling you this because... I've seen it so many times, you're gonna see it, you're gonna see it in your family, you're gonna see it in your Bible study, you're gonna see it in your prayer group, you're gonna see it at, you know, at some camp you go to, and you're gonna hear somebody act as if they're an expert but they have really no understanding. And that's where we're at today. I guess, basically, the social media gives anyone a platform whether they know anything or not. And that's the problem. And the more sensationalistic the person is, the more charismatic the person is, the more it gets a view. You say more outrageous things, then people get a view. Uh, and you get more clicks and stuff like that. So that's one of the things you have to watch out for. So that would be dis- disregarding proper theology. Okay? Let's move down to disregarding morals. Disregarding morals. Now, this seems pretty black and white, but apparently it's not. We, we have the basic set of morals and ethics that the Bible um, just so, so plainly states, black and white. But yet today, people don't take the black and white issues. Like, for instance, let's just talk about uh, the sin of sodomy, because um, that's the biblical name for it. To, there's, about, there's only about seven texts from the Old and New Testament that talk about this, but the, the, the Bible is very plain on it very plain. You can't take it any other way. But yet, they will take it in other ways. So um, they will say, well, um, that was the Old Testament. That That was wrong in Israel's day, but not today. Is that true? No. Because the New Testament picks up on the verbiage as well. And they say, well, Jesus never talked about it. Well, when someone tells you that, well, Jesus never talked about homosexuality, what, what, what should you respond in saying? Is that a valid argument? Well, just because Jesus didn't talk about it? No, in his time it was well, in his time, there was no homosexuality in the sense that if you did commit homosexuality, you were dead. That's pretty simple, isn't it? There were no practicing homosexuals unless they were doing it in secret, and if they were, someone whoever found them out, guess what the penalty was? You were stoned to death. Okay, that's that's how they dealt with it in the Old Testament. Okay, we're in the church age, so we're not in the, the stoning age, but it's still wrong. Okay, and 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 in this age. Um, it's still the problem. Okay, so then what happens is, well, Jesus never talked about it. Well, here's the thing. He did talk about it. How so? He, when he was talking about marriage, that marriage is between a man and a woman in Matthew 19, he also used uh, the, the, the term, um, except for pornea, um, I do not permit divorce. That's the word where we get pornography from. But pornea, pornea is a catch-all phrase in the Greek, and of course Jesus was talking Aramaic, but obviously Matthew put it in Greek and said this is what he meant. And the word pornea in Greek covers every sexual immorality. okay, Fornication, adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, pedophilia, it covers everything that Leviticus would cover. So when they say "Well, he didn't talk about it, yes he did when he used the word pornea, it covers everything. And so, in that sense, he did. But in another sense, well, the New Testament, Paul talks about it and makes it pretty black and white. But again, they'll say, no, Brandon, you just don't understand. That was all tied up uh, with temple prostitution and going to homosexual prostitutes in the temple. So it was tied to idolatry. It wasn't tied to monogamous relationships between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. Is that argument valid? No, why? Was it simply tied to idolatry? It was not. It's not simply tied to idolatry because Romans 1 is not tied to idolatry in, in the sense that once they worship the creation, then they go practicing this. It, just because they're practicing doesn't mean they're, 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 they're worshiping idols. It's a result of not worshiping God. It's a result so it's not, in Romans 1, it's not tied to idolatry. Even in, in, in 1 Corinthians, it's not tied to idolatry either because it was generally practiced among Gentiles, especially in Greek, the Greek world. And how it was practiced was typically males with boys. But Paul nails that. And if you read the text, he says homosexuality, and effeminate. What, what's, why does he have to separate the two? Because he's getting the mindset of the Greeks, and it's the mindset of the Arabs. What is this? They did not consider themselves committing sodomy if they were the giver of it and not the receiver. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. So, Paul calls it out. And he distinguishes between homosexuality and effeminate. And he says he doesn't let them off the hook. He goes right for their Greek mindset. And he also, that that goes to the Arab mindset too. Okay? That you can't be immune whether you're the giver or taker, you're indicted by it. Okay, so to, to, to be so clear and yet people disregard that moral, then I, I, I'm sorry, but I, I don't, there's no, no wiggle room. There's nowhere to go with you on that one at that point because the Greek is clear, the context is clear. It is not simply a sin that you can do if you don't practice idolatry. That's not that's what, what it's saying. You know that, I know that, but they try to twist that. Okay, I got a question, Michael, go ahead. I was just going to say, can't you just also use Luke 17 when he says it, that uh, it'll be like the days of Lot? Yeah, you could. you could. That'd be another way. Yeah, and the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not a lack of hospitality, right? <laughs> like they say. That's, that's what they say, right? It's, that it, it was a lack of hospitality. You guys got it all wrong, you Christians. Or let's put it this way. You Christians for the last... No, wait, let me include the Jews. You Jews and Christians have been interpreting the Bible for the last 3,500 years incorrectly. And Matthew Vines now has a novel idea that, it's, it, it's, um, that we got uh, Sodom and Gomorrah wrong, that it was a lack of hospitality. <laughs> after 3,500 years, after 3,500 years, he finally broke the new thing out and we were all wrong, right? That's what I'm talking about. That's what i say. So after 3,500 3, years of scholarship, someone comes out and says, it's not about that. It's about this. It's like, no, no, no. But that's what I'm, I mean. Um, let's talk about another morality. Um, what's another one they're trying to get away with? Well, abortion. Obviously, that's an easy, easy one. It's a black and white issue, right? But you know, to say that it's a reproductive issue, a mother's right, all that junk... You know that's garbage, right? That's just all garbage. But um, that is what we call degrading the morals. But the problem is, you start having more and more Christians say that it is permissible because you don't want to ruin the life of the girl. You see how they argue? Okay? That's like Warnock. Warnock. Okay, and those other so-called Christians that, that, that would allow for abortion because it puts the girl in a state of poverty for the rest of her life. That's what their reasoning is. That's what they're stating. Not me, that's them. So they disregard the moral of thou shall not murder. right? In order to say, well, you're, you're condemning this girl to poverty for the rest of her life. Don't you care about the life of that woman? What would you respond to? How would you respond to that? <laughs> yeah, where's the man? number one isn't he responsible? Where is he? And the fact that murder is murder. and in murder is murder and here's the thing. Uh, murder is murder, and you can't get around with it There's no ends justify the means just because um it it, it troubles the life of the person that that has an unwanted pregnancy, well, that's part of the consequences. But we don't, you don't get to opt to kill babies if, that, um, if you made that mistake. So, but, and, and, and the other thing, too, as you would know, other women have totally been successful um, in having babies out of wedlock and then doing just fine. So, uh, you know, the argument doesn't stand. But the point is, they make these arguments... They sound okay on the surface, but at the end of the day, they are committing the crime of murder in order to satisfy what their desires are. So this is a pretty slick game they're playing. Uh, they're using certain languages. Now, here's the thing. The language is not going to fool you, but it's going to fool the Laodicean Christian. And that's why the, 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 the Christians are growing in number of accepting abortion. This is why, I mean, the higher-ups of the SBC were, were saying, you know, we need to think about the life of the person that's, that's having the abortion and not condemn her. I mean, they were talking like this, right? So we know that they're, they're fooling around with language, and that's how the, the devil plays. He, he changes languages. Um, and, and then let's, let's talk about disregarding proper theology. So you've got homosexuality, abortion. Um, what else could we hit? What would be the other issue, the main issue we're, we're talking about? Living together. Living together yeah. Um, living together would be totally acceptable in society, but now it's, be- yeah, you're right, it's becoming more acceptable in the church and the fact that, well, you know, we really need to test things out and and see if it's all going to work. No, what, really what they're saying is we want to live together so no one sees when we fornicate. And we're going to, we're going to, We're going to test it out physically before we connect spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. And so, hence, that's the new thing is that, well, they're just going to live together. And that becomes more and more acceptable in society. Um, And people in society don't even think twice about it. And now it's becoming more prevalent, not only among society, but among Christians as well. Um, uh, Another issue, illegal immigration. Okay, Illegal immigration is killing the United States, as you know. It is, it is a moral issue to come and, and squat on someone's property and take what they have, okay? It's, it's a moral issue. And to make it out to be, well, they just want a better life. Don't you want them to have a better life? Wait a second. That's, not, that's, that's, a, that's really not the issue. If they want a better life, great. You must do it morally, though. If you and I want a moral uh, sorry a better life, you must do it morally, right? You must not steal, you must not covet, you must do it right. Okay? Why why am I held to that standard and they are not in in America? Why is it why would I be arrested if I said I just want a better life for my family and friends and kids and stuff and I go do illegal things, but yet I would see jail time but they don't? Well, how is that fair? You see what I'm saying, and so what ends up happening? This goes into the church, and the church, because it doesn't know its proper theology, interprets immigration as we're going to give them the gospel. So just bring everybody in. Understand? Not uh, sorry, not understanding that actually undermines the gospel because you're committing a sin in order to share the gospel. I don't think it works like that. OK? It's just like Peter trying to defend the Lord and cutting off Malchus's ear, and Peter says, "Look, those who live by the sword die by the sword." He wasn't talking about pacifism or not defending yourself. He is basically saying to them, "The gospel is not extended by the sword." The gospel doesn't need to be defended by the sword because the ends and the means are justified, Peter. You don't need to force anything. And the same would be true if I'm going to share the gospel. It is not proper for me to sin in order to share the gospel. That is not what Paul meant by becoming all things to all people. Okay? And a lot of people misinterpret that passage saying, well, it allows me to sin so I can reach people. You're out of your mind. You're absolutely out of your mind. And it, 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 it also, people are out of their mind saying, we're going to allow illegal immigration in order to go- send the gospel to them. So you're out of your mind again, because it works on that scale too. On a national level, it is not proper to do something illegal or, or against the country to do something good. Also, it is not proper in most cases to hurt your own family in order to help someone. Now, if you're going to give your money away, but yet you have a wife and kids to support and you gave all your money away and said, well, you know, that's up to God and God will take care of me, you're a fool because you don't help to the point where it hurts your own loved ones, right? That it doesn't, you don't hinder them and hurt their their lives in order to help someone. That's wrong thinking, okay? Okay. are there times where you sacrifice? Of course there's times where you sacrifice for others. Of course. But those are rare times. The majority of time is you you help, but not at the expense of hurting others. And that is a leftist doctrine that we're going to just open up America, kill ourselves as a nation to let everyone live here. That That is suicide. But again, this is... The degrading of morals, as you can see. And so it's done like that on all topics. And, and that's what's happening in the church. And that's what causes factions and problems and is dividing the church today. Okay. Then we move to promoting false theology and idiosyncratic views. Now, false theology uh, obviously is the denial of the faith, denial of the big, the big A doctrines. And I think all of you understand that, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. That's easy to spot, right? It's the idiosyncratic views that are hard to spot. Idiosyncratic means that this person has developed some weirdo view on their own. They're interpreting something the way they want to interpret, and that's how they see it, okay? So this is what causes division. And, I mean, it could be anything, um, let me think of a few idiosyncratic views. Um, how about this one? America is Babylon. You, don't, you can't get that from any text in Scripture that talks about Babylon. You can't get that. When, to be hermeneutically consistent... If the Bible talks about Babylon, it means Babylon. Okay, it means Babylon. So, if you're going to break the rules of hermeneutics and say America is the new Babylon, okay, that's idiosyncratic. That's your own view. It's not derived from proper hermeneutics. Well, it will will say, well, it um, it says in Revelation 17, mystery Babylon. And you're thinking, oh my goodness. First of all, you don't understand what mystery is in the New Testament. You've got to understand the concept of mystery. And second of all, you have to to understand just proper Greek language. Everybody knows what Babylon is. So what the statement is, mystery, comma, Babylon the Great. Babylon the Great is not a mystery. The Old Testament knows that. That's not what the mystery is. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and every abomination on the earth. Everyone knows that. That all false religions came out of Babylon. That's the Old Testament. All that's all, no. that's all new, uh, old stuff. Well, what's the mystery? The mystery is not Babylon. The mystery is saying, it's making a declaration at the start of the, f- the phrase of saying, Now something that was not revealed in the Old Testament is now about to be revealed in the New Testament. That's why Paul will say, I tell you a mystery. There's actually eight mysteries. Okay? So what happens is that is information, new information that was not in the Old Testament. So when John states a mystery, boom, and comma, and it goes Babylon the Great. Now, Babylon the Great is not the mystery. He's saying, I'm introducing you something new. What is the new thing? Well, if you read the text long enough, he eventually tells you the mystery. And the mystery is this, that the Old Testament didn't tell us. That Babylon, the religious, the harlot, the religious element, would be supported by the beast system. That's what was the mystery that they didn't know in the Old Testament that now is revealed in the New, that the be- the harlot who will ride on the beast and be supported by the beast government. That's what the mystery is. That's what John is trying to say. So, if for somebody to go in there and say mystery Babylon, that means that means it's a mystery. It must be America. That is so not only idiosyncratic but not even understanding the contextual use of the word mystery, that that person, they write books and people buy them. And they say, America, New York is Babylon. And you'll get things like that. And you're like, wow, that's really, really bad. And yet people will believe them. So people will approach me when I'm at prophecy conferences or whatever, and they'll say, hey, man, do you think America is Babylon? No, not at all. Where did you get that from? Well, so-and-so wrote a book. Now, uh, how about this? Just read the scriptures and understand the Greek a little bit and understand the context of mystery and then you will see that that, that guy who wrote that book, that, ba- that America is Babylon, is invalid. It's totally invalid. So what's the real story? The real story is Babylon will be rebuilt in Iraq one day where the Tower of Babel was. That's how you stay hermeneutically consistent. So, okay, um, let 's do another one um, uh, idiosyncratic view can you think of any racism. the racism yeah that's that 's another thing too and uh, okay, okay so let's let's dovetail into that. So the Bible is a racist book. That's what they'll say. Okay, they'll have a, a, and and say, look at this. They had slaves in the Bible. Look at that. It's racist. And and Joshua's called to to uh, drive out certain people groups. And Joshua's called to commit genocide on certain groups. And look at the difference between Jews and Gentiles, Samaria. Look at all that. It's all racist. How would you respond? That's very idiosyncr- idiosyncratic. He did, but well, how do you well, how do you how do you answer slavery in the Bible? Even uh, what's the old boy Philemon was told to stay in his state, and he was a slave. What's what's the issue? What's the issue of biblical biblical slavery? Why is it in there? Well, because here's the, the simple answer. Yeah, that's it. This is how they did their mortgages simple it's that simple it's an economic issue you didn't have banks back then so what did you do in order to borrow money you could you would go to a rich person you would borrow money and you would indenture yourself to them to pay off the debt of getting the loan bingo and they were called slaves that's simple now, the real slavery is when Egypt put Israel into slavery, right? Okay, that's, that's it. And then, you know, obviously in the Greco-Roman world, they practiced slavery. But that's, that's, that's an issue that's outside of the Bible. The Bible reports that, but it doesn't advocate that. But, you know, Paul had to deal with that on the outside in the Roman-Greco world. Okay, but the Bible doesn't point it out or, or promote it. That's how they did loans, and by the way, you couldn't make a loan more than seven years. Got the end of seven years, you had to, everything had to be resolved at the end of seven years. So you couldn't take a 30-year mortgage or a 15. You could only borrow an amount that you could pay back within seven years. That's it. That was the economy of Israel. That's an easy thing. But here's the thing. If you don't know the cultural background, they're going to nail you on that. Right? Oh, look at the slaver. Look at that, look at that, look at that. It's like, no, man, that's not what's going on there. Um, stuff like that. Another idiosyncratic view that will mess you up is a, a person's version of the kingdom. We've talked about this. If, the people th- if people think they're in the kingdom right now and they're going to build the kingdom without Jesus, all that stuff, we've talked about that. That's another idiosyncratic view that doesn't derive itself from Scripture. All of this, as you can see, Causes problems, causes division. And that's why the church is in the mess they're in. This is why there is so much apostasy going on right now because everybody's got to say something. Everybody goes on YouTube and they have to say something. Now, I can tell you this. With the advent of social media, this has been the, where the explosion of this has happened. Everybody is an expert. Apparently. And what happens is with social media is it creates narcissism in the person if it's al- if it's not already in them. Because they feel that they have something to say. Right? In the old days, unless you're some type of expert or unless you have some type of credibility, you're not getting a say. I mean you'll you'll get the say, and, and other people who don't have those credentials or whatever don't, okay? But now we can have a 17-year-old boy spout out theology on YouTube and people believe him. That is unheard of. But yet they'll have a million followers. And, and because of that platform, they make money and they sell their false theology. That's why you see the explosion in apostasy that's happening. It's another, another reason why you see people not coming to church. It's because they have been so educated on YouTube um, by the, the scholars on YouTube that they, they, they truly believe they know more than the pastor. Now, may, maybe they do. I don't know. A lot of these pastors are not worth a hill of beans um, as far as education is concerned. But if you start thinking that you know it all now, and that you're the higher authority, then you won't go to spiritual authority for help. You will manage it yourself. And therefore, you see the decline in attendance, which is a sign of apostasy as well. They have figured things out. They can do it themselves. And let me tell you this. There's a legitimate... I I, I use the wrong word. It's not legitimate. There are legitimate people who have studied know their theology but choose not to participate in the body of christ now that's weird okay they know better they they think they can function on their own and with their household and they stay away from church i understand there's a lot of bad churches out there but your job is to find a good one and you search until you find a good one but they're not searching at all. Once the shutdowns happened, they became educated through YouTube and now they are no longer going to be part of any body of Christ. And that we see that another and that is a splintering and a divisional thing that's happening to the church right now is people are just splintering off on their own. And look. You get out there by yourself. It's not going to be enough. It's not you're going to hang by yourself. You need the support of other Christians. Okay? It's not, a, it's not always about knowledge. It's about networking of support. And this is what these types of individuals don't understand. Is that they might have all their theology correct, but man, when persecution comes, they will not be able to stand because they have no support network. And that's what's getting ready to happen. And that's caused a lot of division. This is why, what is it? Church attendance dropped by what a third, a third after the shutdowns. These people just never came back. We had people that that during the shutdown were so frightened we didn't see them for like a year or a year and a half. Just stayed gone the whole time. What were they doing? I have no idea. They were just gone. And you know what happened to them? They never came back. They never came back. And these were people that were serving with us. They were right there with us, doing things with us. And all of a sudden, they just turned hightail and they left. And what are they doing now? Nothing. It's not like they're going to a different church. They just don't go. What is that? What is it? Tell me what that is. Because I'm having a hard time understanding that. How could you be serving with a church and you still You're still afraid? Maybe they're ashamed. I, I, it's weird. How could you be so involved and then take the exit? And now that it's supposed to be all over and everything, you still don't come back? Yes, because something happened. And a lot of it can be traced to YouTubing. And that's where they get their spiritual guidance, apparently, on that. So it's caused a lot of division. There's no doubt about that. A lot of division. So how about let's go move into number fourteen then? Let's go into how Satan tempts believers. Wait, I went backwards. Sorry. There we go. Fifteen. I'm sorry. Satan how Satan devours believers. Okay, so where we're getting this concept of devouring the believer. Is uh Peter will remark that Satan is like a a, a lion seeking whom he may devour right and, and you guys know the phrase, but what does it mean that that Satan seeks to devour you? Um, what does it mean that he wants to eat you alive, so to speak well it 's a metaphor and it 's a metaphor that means taking away all of your influence and witness okay because Salvation-wise, he can't do anything to you, right? But what he can do is destroy your witness and destroy your influence in this world. That's what it means by the, the prowling lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, how does he go about doing that? Well, it's real simple. Through sin, he gets the believer involved in such deep sin that they can sometimes go into a protracted period of time into the sin, sometimes never getting out of it okay and if the person gets in that protracted period of time of sin and they can never get out of it then they lose credibility they you know part of what's happening in our witness is you're earning the right to be heard that's a big deal you you have to live in such a way and speak in such a way and live by such a way, you know, by the truth that, that you earn the right to be heard by people, okay? It's not enough just to say you're a Christian and, and you know, you should listen to me. That's not, that's, that's not how they work out there. Um, you have the truth, but you must present it in a way that your witness goes along with it. Because if you send the wrong signals because your behavior and lifestyle is wrong, you lose credibility in what you're saying. I'll give you an example. Uh, We were in Israel, and uh, this is a funny thing, I think. I, 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 I couldn't believe what I was hearing, but... We did a, we, we did a hike up to Nggeti, and we only had a little time, so um, a few of us ran there because she says, oh, "You guys only got 30 minutes. You got to get back." So three of us ran, and um, we ran to the the end of Nggeti. And you get up there, and it's a hike up there. And you get up there, man. You're huffing and puffing, and we were blowing through, man, just running and your thighs are burning because you're going upstairs and everything, and you're, and you're huffing and puffing. So you get there, and, and I'm huffing and puffing. And I hear another group behind me, and this, is this old boy, he could barely speak because he was huffing and puffing. But um, I want to be kind to him, but I want to point this out. He was severely overweight. Okay, I'm not trying to be derogatory. He was severely overweight. And this old boy was huffing and puffing. I don't know how he got that far. But apparently, from what I can hear from him, he was the leader of a group of pastors they had taken to Israel. Okay? And he got them all up there. Sometimes they sometimes t- they, like, some of these tour groups will take pastors just to show them this is how you take your congregation, yada, yada, yada. So apparently there was about a dozen pastors with him. And this old boy was laid across the rock like this and I thought he was going to kill over. I mean, he was huffing and puffing. And here's the words he said. As he's laying like this, huffing and puffing, severely overweight. I'm gonna tell you right now, guys, you really have to be physically in shape as a pastor. You have no credibility when you just said that. And you're telling them to be in shape and you're not. That's like going to a gym and say, I wanna work with a trainer and the trainer comes out and he's 500 pounds. What kind of credibility would you have if you're a trainer like that? And I, th- I just thought, dude, you just need to shut up, man. You telling them to be in shape and you're, you're grossly out of shape, um, you've lost all credibility. Now, I'm not trying to be mean to the guy, but this is the idea that your witness will be devoured and you'll lose credibility if you don't live it out, and and that's a big deal. It is a big deal. Now, I, I, I will say this. Um, I think this is true for America, but I was talking to our, our guide in Israel about you know w- w- what's it like to witness to the Jewish people. You know, and that's a different ball game. You just can't come up and say tater chip, let her rip, and you're going to hell and this and that. It's a different approach. It's a way different approach culturally because they they have the background of Nazi Germany and and the you know the cross is associated with the swastika. So there's a lot of issues there that you have to get through. She says the number one thing you have to do, Brandon, you have to establish a relationship with them. Number one, and once you establish the relationship over a period of time, then you can start sharing. But you you the way that you the they the, the she was saying, she was saying the way they operate is. They will distrust you until they trust you, until you prove yourself to them. And the way you're going to prove yourself to them is if you truly live it out. Oh, that's a big deal. Because they will watch you, and they will see. And if you if you don't live consistently with what you say you believe, they will not accept what you're going to say about Jesus. And that's a big deal, you know, to that culture, is they want to see it, if it's real. And... Uh, and you think about that and you're like, yeah, that makes total sense. Um, no, don't get me wrong. There's occasions, you know, and I've been on the mission field and there's occasions where, you know, you, they don't know who you are, you're sharing the gospel and they get saved. And there's there's situations like that, like in Central America and stuff like that. But in our witnessing here in, in America, I can see relationship being a big deal too, you know, um, and being a driving force. So... So what Satan does is he knows that, and that's a powerful thing, so what he causes Christians to do is not live up according to what they believe. That doesn't make them not a Christian, because we know it's by faith, but it certainly makes them not credible. And hence, that's a devouring effect that Satan can have on a Christian. Now, that's something to think about, because if, if you can't, Get your outward life correct. And, you know, that's the biggest thing they're looking at, right? Now, I understand we're all going to struggle with attitudes and adjustments and, you know, issues from the past and stuff like that. But if your outward can't, if you can't curtail that, you're going to have a hard time. And here's the thing, man you know who you're going to lose? You're going to lose your family over that. It's not so much even the employees that you, you can lose credibility with them, but the biggest credibility you're going to lose is with your own family because they're going to see the person behind the scenes. They're going to see how they really is, how she really is, and that's what they're going to judge you on, not how you are at church. Uh, right now, it's easy to be a Christian, and you can put your Christian smile on, and everyone likes you and everything like that, but the real deal is when you go home is what they view you as. And I'm not talking about like some crazy teenager that's out of their mind. I'm talking about you being a totally different person when you go home. That this what people see is not real. And you're 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 this whole different person. And this is where I I go into counseling with people, and you know, they're they're all twisted off at their parents, and they're all twisted off at how they were brought up. I said, well, how were, how were you brought up? Well, I was brought up in the church. What church you go to? This one? Oh, okay, that's a good one. That's a decent one. Um, no problems there. You weren't brought up a Catholic or a Mormon or Jehovah Witness, so you had a decent church. Bible-believing? Yeah, yeah. But it was the fact that I saw the hypocrisy from with my parents, and I can't get past that. Because to them, they always promoted Jesus, but they didn't, they didn't live as if Jesus was real. So I'm struggling now in my faith, they'll say, Because my authority figures didn't really act like it was real. And that's a problem. That person has now, has a stumbling block put in front of them because of their parents. And uh, look, I'm a parent too, and and we're not perfect, man. We're going to fail. But the issue then becomes, what's the pattern of your life look like? What's the the direction of your, your life look like? You know, we're going to make mistakes and do stupid things, but direction's a big deal. And if, if you say your direction's one way, but you go home and you're going in the opposite, it's a contradiction. If you say you love your family, how come you don't bring in the church? How come you don't attend church? You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just some walking contradictions. If you say you love Christ, why are, why are you always taking vacations on the weekends and you never go to church? Well, I need to, I'm, I'm stressed out, Brandon. Well, we all are. Welcome to the club. We all became adults and we all are stressed and we're all waiting for the rapture because we're so stressed. So wh- what are you talking about? We're all, we're all here on Wednesday. Now we're all here on Sunday morning. How come you can't? Well, I'm stressed. We don't. You mean you have a stress more than anyone else? Okay, I, hard, I have a hard time believing that. But see, you, you, this is where the person is not being consistent. You know, um, I love Jesus. They'll say, okay. Um, so tell me, you prioritize Jesus in your life, right? He, yeah, he's number one, Brandon. You, you, you. Yeah, he's number one. We do everything by Jesus, okay? So let me ask you this. Has Jesus, you, t- you tell me that Jesus has told you to move. Is that Jesus telling you to move or is that you moving? What is it? Because you say you put Jesus first. Is that, if it's Jesus telling you to move, that's great. No problem, then do it. But if it's not and it's you, then don't tell me Jesus told you to go. The funny thing is, being back in Kentucky, you're in the Bible Belt, okay? And um, the church we were at, it's a remnant church. The, the group of, of Christians in that church, remnant group, great people, lovely people. They would fit right in with us and no problem. But remember, you were in, I was in the Bible Belt. And according to that pastor and according to the people there, the rest of that place is not like that. They say they love Jesus, but they don't have a clue what that really means in their life because it's cultural there. It's not real. Okay, to the group we were at, it's real. Jesus is real to them, but to the rest of them it's not real so i gave this illustration to that church and i'll give it to you guys too i mean we go to the hotel on friday night or no thursday night we get in check into the hotel <coughs> and uh lady was asking what are you guys doing here uh, we're going to go um, speak at a prophecy conference and um, and you know well you know we're talking about how bad california is and, and her statement was her statement was well i'm glad that will never come here And I said, oh, foolish woman. Um, so I just let it go. So we went, we, 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 we got settled, went out to dinner, um, and we went to a, a restaurant. And the first person that waits on us is a transgender guy. <laughs> And I wanted to go get in the car and get that woman, <laughs> drive her to the restaurant, and say, you see this right here? You said it's not coming your way, but it's already here. Where, where are you at? And you not know this? You see, the, so, so what happens is, that's, I'm faking it until I make it. There's nothing real. If she was a a true remnant believer, she would already know it's already hit Kentucky and it's hit every state in the union and already know that the town she's in had a big gay pride day and had flags all over the place. How did she miss that? Oh, it'll never come here. See no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil kind of mindset. And that type of person, I'm telling you right now in these last days, they don't have any credibility when you act like that and you're impervious to what's going on, you have no credibility. You have no street cred with anybody if you're that clueless. So that's an illustration of a woman, and again, sweet woman, Christian woman, but Satan has devoured her. She has no ability to testify. She has no ability to speak the truth because she thinks she's in a bubble and it's not coming there but yet it already, the tsunami already hit. That's what Satan wants to do to you, is ruin your credibility, and that's the idea of a lion devouring you. So, Anything? Any questions before we take a break? Clear as mud, right? Okay. Well, good? Let's take about a five-minute break. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.